Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hello, and welcome to the Psychology Podcast with Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman, where we give you insights into the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity. Each episode will feature a new guest who will stimulate your mind and give you a greater understanding of yourself, others, and the world we live in. Hopefully, we'll also provide a glimpse into human possibility. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the podcast. Today, I'm really excited to have James Altucher on the show. James is a self-empowerment blogger and author of 16 books, including the Amazon bestseller, Choose Yourself. He's also host of the James Altucher Show. The New York Times called him, quote, perhaps the world's least likely success guru. <laughs> Thanks so much for chatting with me today, James. Which, by the way, yeah. the writer wrote to me on that and he said, I didn't want to use the word guru. I know you didn't want to use that word guru. It was, it was somebody in... The marketing department or whatever. That's right. Because so. later in that article, you do say, like, I don't want to be viewed as a, 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 a guru. But it's almost like that's what people have viewed you as, whether or not you wanted to be viewed as that as such. Why? How do you think that happened? I don't know, because all I talk about is messing up. I know. And then I talk about what I did to get out of the hole. So let's say I was broke, bankrupt, and divorced, which has happened more than once. And then I write about how I get out of this and kind of succeed again, let's say build another business starting from scratch or whatever, people then can say, well, maybe I can do that too. And maybe they can, maybe they can. I, I kind of give the very exact specific details of what I do over and over again in, in all these articles and books and so on. And I always say advice is autobiography. So I never give advice and I specifically say that, but I just say my autobiography and people could do with it what they want. I really am more interested in having impact with a story and sort of telling people, okay, success is, could happen or might not happen, but it's okay to fail. It's okay to have moments that are difficult. And you, people almost need permission to have that because we're sort of trained from birth while well, school, then job, then marriage, then family, then white picket fence, then retirement, then cruise line, you know, tours, and then death. And when you break out of that, 
you feel bad, like, because we're programmed not to break out of that. So, yeah, I really believe in these shows of having honest discussions about things. I've noticed that a lot of actual self, people who they even call themselves self-gurus, self-help gurus, there's a similar pattern with all of them where they will talk about how they fail, they once, you know, were a loser. They would say, I'm a loser, whether it's like losing weight, right? And then right. there's this arc and they say, and it's almost like that's used as almost a marketing ploy as a way of like saying like, but now you know, I, I was once you and look what you can become. Now, when I meet you, when I read your stuff, I get a level of genuineness that I don't necessarily get from other, a lot of other people in this kind of space that have that sort of arc, that write about that arc. When you were going through it, like I would love to, you to walk me through like the early days, like when you were failing and things, did you ever think to yourself like, I'm going to get out of this hole and I'm going to inspire others? Was that a No, motivation? I mean, let's say I could pull from any number. I have like kind of a repertoire of failed moments. Yeah. But when it happens, when you're on literally on the ground and you're like, oh my God, I just did it again. Like I just went broke again or I lost this relationship that was important to me or, you know, I'm not going to be able to feed my kids. You know, you feel really bad. Now, I'm also saying this, totally acknowledging from a point where I've been really blessed too, that I've had successes and failed from them and had successes again. But when you're in that moment of failure, it feels just enormously stressful. It almost hurts to go down. I mean, if I stay down, that maybe I can deal with. But to go from, I've, I've gone from like real big success to totally can you bankrupt. Tell me one of the lowest, like one of those points. I mean, I think it's- It's hard to like bring back these memories. <laughs> yeah, like, no, it's okay. It's like, I think sometimes, I can't tell if it hurts the first time or the last time because the first time you don't realize, oh my gosh, I actually can fail. Like, you know, I had a very, you know, a middle-class upbringing, nothing special in either direction. And then I just kind of- I had ups and downs, but nothing too horrible. And then I started a business. It was successful. And I sold it. I made a lot of money. And then there was one summer where I figured, okay, well, I did it. I can't possibly fail now. I've made enough money. I'm just going to do whatever I want. And it doesn't matter. And I was so stupid. I basically lost everything, including the home I was living in. You know, I lost millions of dollars. I ended up, well, I remember one time I checked my ATM machine. I had $143 in my bank account after having millions just a few months earlier. Like I was just stupid. Like it was, it wasn't on paper. It was cash. And it's a lot of money to lose that quickly. Yeah. I was stupid. It's almost <laughs> hard to lose that much money. That quickly. I'm very talented yeah. at that. This goes to your, <laughs> uh, your topics of, of research. This, I proved the talent in being stupid in certain areas. But I felt like, oh my gosh, I had won the lottery and I'm never going to get this chance again. And that was it for me. I I should be dead. And I had little babies at the time. And I figured, look, they're never going to remember me as a father, but... I, one thing I have left is this big life insurance policy. And I would start, I would start using search engines to figure out what's the, what's the best way to kill myself that where it won't hurt. And really, yeah. And it turns out there really is no way. Like what's the answer? Well, to be fair, I think I found an answer, but I can't find proof of it on a search engine. So it might not, it might just be an old wives tale, but Every normal thing you could think of, I found counterexamples. So like, for instance, shooting yourself in the head or shooting yourself in the mouth or taking a lot of pills. There's a bigger than I wanted chances of just ending up 
you know, staring at a ceiling for the rest of your life, paralyzed yeah. and completely aware. Yeah. So, or being, or having some dysfunction that is beyond, like I was willing to die, but not willing to be dysfunctional. Yeah. So, yeah. so ultimately. That's an argument against suicide. That is a good an argument against good, suicide. It's it's not the normal argument against suicide, but I think it's uh, fair. No, I mean, look, people shouldn't kill themselves because it will hurt the people around them. That's the main argument. Absolutely, yeah. But the flip side, which I will say, is that suicide will end that extreme pain you're in at that moment of failure. In that moment, except yeah. there is no way to do it. And I also was unsure of the law in terms of the insu- life insurance policy. Because I, the other thing I looked at is, can they discover yeah. in all these obscure ways if you killed yourself? And the answer is, yes, they can. No matter what, they will figure out if the cause of death is suicide. Right. Well, you're kind of like the poster boy for the field of post-traumatic growth that we study in our field, you know, positive psychology. There's a certain amount of people who have post-traumatic stress disorder who take these kinds of traumatic situations and don't ever really recover from them. But there's a, a certain proportion that take it and use it as, and you, boy, I mean, do you use it? You, you use it fully, your whole being. Well, you've used well, it, right? well now, now let's talk philosophically for a yeah. second. When you experience a lot of stress, there's two ways to get out of it. One is to say, well, I'm never going to, that was that. I'm never going to succeed again. I'm just going to drift away or whatever. And that's kind of this negative way to relieve stress. And then there's a positive way to relieve stress, which is, okay, now I'm going to start coming up with ideas for new things I can do. And I'm going to do that today because today's the first day, you know, today's the best day you can change. And so that's the philosophical approach. And I think now, many years later, when I fail now, which because failure never really ends, I try very forcefully to remind myself that that's the approach I need to take and it works uh, and I do it. But I think initially the first couple of times when I was reached this kind of devastating moments, I didn't know what to do. I just thought this is the worst feeling possible and I'm never going to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And it was only when I kind of using myself as, you know, there's all these, you know, scientific studies. Here's what's positive. Here's what's negative. Here's what's, you know, successful people do. Here's what unsuccessful people do. That doesn't work when you're actually on the floor. Mm -hmm. You're your own, you're a sample size of one and you have to make it work. You have to do a study that works for the sample size of one. And so I had to look at myself eventually and say, what kept working when I went up and what kept failing on the way down? And finally, I can't say finally because it's not the story is not over yet, but I think I've figured out, at least for myself, what boxes I need to check whenever things are going bad. One other thing I'll add, you said like post-traumatic stress. I definitely have now, I, before I never realized that I could fail at anything, you know, but now even if I have just a slight blip, I start to get really anxious and I have to kind of go check through my boxes to deal with it or else I'll stay up all night. I'll have nightmares. It's the worst thing. Yeah. So you actually have given in some of your writings some tips for how to overcome anxiety, right? Do you apply yeah. some of that for yourself? Can you maybe like, what's the alien trick? Do you still do, do, you do that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I do that every day. Yeah. So I, when I wake up or even sometimes during the day, but mostly when I wake up, I picture that I am an alien from outer space that has just, it's kind of like Quantum Leap, the old TV show. I've just landed in this body. I have to now figure out what this body is and what mission it needs to accomplish today because tomorrow I'll be gone. So that means I don't have to worry about the results of my actions today. Not that I'm going to go crazy because I have to aim for positive consequences because I'm on a mission. And... But I don't have any baggage from the past and I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I just have to make positive actions today 
without even considering at all the past or the future. Cool. What other tips um, or things have you found to help reduce anxiety? I I take lemon balm, for instance. What's what's lemon balm? I, I have it in my bag. Actually, we can take it right oh, now. Oh, like you put it on? It, it, no, you drop, it, you drop it in water. It's just, um, you know, it's a natural herb uh, sort of thing. And it uh, it calms your muscle relaxant, kind really? of calm, calms you down. Is lemon almost. in general like that? Well, I think lemon balm extract is particularly good for ah, I'll try that. I'll yeah, try we, we, could, we could put a drop in our water right now if you wanted to. Yeah. All right. Do you have? I do. It's in my bag. But Jay, get it. Yeah. That's the audio engineer. Let's do something. <laughs> yeah. let's, um, let's see. We can see if we're like more relaxed or something. Yeah. For them. But but um, I think also it's very important is taking positive actions. in yeah. Like at the end of the day, I, I'll ask myself each day, did I take positive actions? And that really just means a couple of things. One is, was I creative today? So did I write down 10 ideas a day to exercise my idea muscle? Okay, here's the lemon bomb. So I, so I asked myself, did I make a list of 10 ideas for either businesses or books or articles or ways I can help somebody else or podcast ideas or yeah. whatever I'm involved in? I, I, make a, I try to be as creative as possible each day. I also try to be around friends each day. I always make yeah. sure I touch base with friends each day because, look, depressed people need to do that. So why shouldn't I do that when I'm not depressed? Like, why wait until you're depressed? Because yeah. we all know friends boosts oxytocin and all these happy chemicals and so on. Another thing I try to do every day is either, you know, I try to eat, you know, nutritiously and exercise and sleep eight hours because physical is, that's the easiest hack on your mood possible. You said don't go to bed uh, after, uh, what time do you say? Nine? Well, I try not to say don't, but I try to go to bed before 9 p.m. Yeah. So yeah. Do you wake up not, at five? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll sleep eight hours. Yeah. Uh, I'll sleep between... Eight and nine hours. Because I'll go to bed at nine and wake up at like nine the next night. Like, I mean, like if I go, if I'm out and I get a night's sleep, I don't want to wake up. But but maybe yeah. because you have a sleep deficit. There we go. You're, there you you go. know, you work in a school, you have odd hours probably, yeah. uh, which is fine. You just have to figure out, you know, there's all sorts of physical benefits of, you know, what happens when you sleep that, you know, cures the mind of all these anxieties and stresses. Mm-hmm. Exercise, of course, releases a lot of endorphins. How you eat determines how your energy is is used by the body and the brain and so all these things are are the these are like easy hacks on anxiety so mm-hmm. so those physical things and being around friends and being creative are like the greatest hacks uh, and then the alien trick is a good quick hack as well cool yeah a lot of that gets to satisfying some just basic balancing your needs and look that's why you know some people will charge I don't know, some gazillion dollars for some seminar or whatever, but it's really that simple. That's all you have to do every day. And you'll go, I've seen, you'll be able to deal with these bottom or failure situations much better. You start to view them more as experiments or, okay, this didn't work out, but other things will will work out. And you start to have more variety in your life because you're so creative from building up your idea muscle and uh, just things tend to work out. Yeah. So you mentioned in your answer that you mentioned a lot of your pillars of happiness. So you talked about the physical, the emotional, I guess emotional would be like friends and yeah. stuff like that. Mental and mental spirit- like creativity, creativity. And then let's talk more about the spiritual dimension. of. So life. the spiritual dimension is actually sa- solved by the alien trick, because really mm. what's, what's spirituality yeah. is forget about all religion for a second, although each religion has huge, you know, spiritual components. So do whatever you want. But it's really about being in the now. So being, you know, kind of surrendering to this moment. So the alien trick is one way of saying, okay, well, here is where I'm at. 
these are the cards I've been dealt. I wake up in this body. So I surrender to completely to whatever past got me here. And then there's no future because I'm leaving this body in a day. So you surrender to the consequences of whatever you do. And you just, you know, uh, you all figure out what your mission is and, and do it for that day. And there's a very big spiritual component to that. Yeah. Do you meditate at all? Uh, I have since I was a kid, but more recently I don't because I just do what I just said. Okay. So I <laughs> find know? I find meditation I, when I did it a lot, particularly when I was really stressed. I almost prefer to call it mad attention because rather than really meditating, what would end up happening is I'd be just constantly obsessed with what was going wrong with my life. Yeah. So now instead, I do these more directed ways of, you know, almost biochemically hacking myself into a, a better state so that I could function and do something positive. Absolutely. So I think a lot of people resonate with you is, I mean, you have a very distinct style to you. And, you know, it just makes me think, what are you? Like, if you're not, let's say you're not a self, like what, you know, I feel like there are lots of different fields you could do. You could, you could probably do a stand-up comic bit too, right? And that I, I have done stand-up right? comedy. Okay. I'm obsessed yeah. with stand-up comedy. Yeah. I mean, of course, because it's truth, right? The truth is funny. You know, the, almost the more true you are about something, the more funny it is. And and you're also, if I may say, you know, a little neurotic. I can identify and with that, resonate with that. It's I have found that like when I'm nervous and or I'm feeling particularly neurotic and I just get out of my system what I'm thinking verbatim. I don't, you know, filter the truth at all. People tend to find it funny. Well, yeah. Whereas inside I'm crying, right? But like. I'm like, I'm glad that you find that so funny, right? But I'm suffering here. But it, almost getting it out actually makes me feel better. I wonder well, if it's therapeutic for you as well. It's definitely therapeutic because for a lot of reasons. First off, I don't believe in the so-called radical honesty where you completely have no filter. Because oh, right. yeah. I never will say anything bad about anybody else, but I'm happy to say bad things about myself That's all day long. That's so I'll have radical honesty about myself, but not about others. But I think there's a lot of you know evidence to say, look, We've all been through bad experiences and we all hide them. Yeah. So when you're honest about your bad experiences, what ends up happening and when you share it, let's say with your tribe or your scene or your Facebook friends or whatever, what ends up happening is people relate. And so you're bonding and bonding feels good. And bonding is one way of getting over you know, anxiety and becoming more creative and so on. Plus, when you tell a story, you get better at telling stories and Storytelling is a 200,000-year-old tradition for our species, older than any other tradition, basically. And, you know, that's another pleasurable thing, getting good at storytelling. And our whole life is one big story we've told ourselves about ourselves. Well, you even refer to, like, kind of the self-help mythology that there is this arc of the heroes. First, a person's right. a loser. Then they kind of, you know, met their mentor and came out of it exactly. and met the other people. And then they now they're ready to come back from the journey and teach. That's so right. there's this kind of arc of the hero, yes, a classic Joseph Campbell story in the yes. self-help genre. So the reason why I don't like it is I, I feel that many people in that genre, A, are not honest. No, I don't want to say they're not honest. Uh, they, they don't talk about their failures right now. So... Mm -hmm. It's not like failure only happened a long time ago and then you solve it and then everything's good after that. Like failure is unpredictable and bad things are unpredictable. Bad things happen every day. So it's just a matter of kind of trying to ride them and, and being honest about them. Like, ugh, this bad thing happened to me today. I think that's right. I think it's absolutely right. So I want to ask you a question and this might be, okay, what is the secret to doing what you love? 
Well, you know, I can ask you the same question because this is like the this the focus of your research. But I want you to drink my uh, medicine. That I've, I just I've, gave been, you. Uh, oh, I've been I've been drinking. sipping on it. Yes, because I feel uh, like if I get more relaxed than you, then it might get a little weird. You know, like. I was like, uh, so James, you know, you, as the host. You might already be more relaxed yeah. than me. I, I always get nervous. <laughs> do you ever feel like before a podcast that you wish they would cancel at the last minute? Yeah, I do. Because I, I wish I like I wish I could cancel it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel that way before talks too, mm-hmm. right? You know, sometimes, you know, I'm like, oh my God. Of course, before yeah, talks yeah, because that's yeah. horrible giving a talk. Podcast I find – like, this is a little more nerve-wracking. I have to look at you, right? Yeah. But, like, you know, when I'm home, when I do most of my podcasts, it's like I'll do podcasts. I'm just, you know, at home. I'm Skyping with someone. Usually not even the video is on, you know? Yeah. So I can look weird, you know? My eyes can be, like, googly-eyed, right? It, it, it doesn't matter. Like, no one will ever care about that, you know? But yeah. I get I get nervous. I get performance yeah. anxiety about podcasts. Yeah. So, yeah. but unless, like, like, we know each other, so it's more of a discussion and stuff. But, like... If I'm in, let's say you were interviewing Barack Obama, you would be nervous right before. I would want him to cancel right before the podcast. I'd be so nervous. No, totally. There, there are definitely people. I, I had Brene Brown on a little while ago, and I was like, I really don't want to say something that's I'm going to makes me going to sound inauthentic. You know what I mean? Like, I really want her to, you know, like think I'm authentic. Yeah, you got to be vulnerable. Yeah, I wanted to, like right, but I, but <laughs> you don't want to be perfection. You don't want to be fake vulnerable. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. you, know, you know, it's it's like I want to be authentically vulnerable. You know, just because it's Brittany Brown and you want to impress her, you can't like you know be like I feel like it's so vulnerable. Like my heart, and you you got to mean it. You know, right? So uh, she'll, she'll sense that's it. She'll, I feel like she's a vulnerability bullshit detector. You right. Know? And so I was like, that's why I was nervous for that one. You know, but um, anyway, I think that's it a good get though, Brittany Brown. For yeah, the that was good. I'm glad. I'm happy about that one. So and you're so, a good get. You're a good get. Thank you. So yeah. so, so so to answer your question yeah. though, um, I think. People, how do you, your question was, how do you do, uh, essentially, how do you do what you love? How do you end up doing what you love? And I think it's very difficult because there's many, maybe many things that you love doing. And there's also many things that you haven't done yet that you will love once you do them. So I think the key is a doing these things like staying healthy because you, you can't do what you love if you're sick in bed and being around friends because friends expose you to new ideas and also just writing down ideas every day of. Let's say you pick a, a thing to write a list about. Like I'm going to write about, and this is actually how this started for me. I've always loved games, but you know, I'm not going to be like a professional Monopoly player, for instance, or even like a professional chess player, which is chess was my favorite game. But I wasn't, you know, at the age of 30 or however old I was, I wasn't good enough to be a professional. Yeah. But I started thinking, what's a list of games where I could then come up with a list of tips for each game where I could teach Scott Kaufman how to beat everybody in his family and all his friends, all the casual players. Right. So like an algorithm Yeah. or for each game, there's tricks. So like Monopoly, if you own the orange properties, you're going to beat everybody who doesn't know that trick because right. jail is the most popular spot and seven is the most popular dice roll. So you end on the orange. Pro- so so people will end up on the orange properties more than any other property and pay you rent. So that's a minor trick but i was come i wanted to then then and then i was saying oh i could write a book about this and then i could write a series about this now i never did any of these things but i started every day just writing down ideas for things i could do most of the time there were bad ideas like maybe that book idea would be a bad idea but once in a while you start to get more and more creative and you say wow that's exciting you wouldn't have thought of it if you weren't writing down this list of ideas and you're like oh i could do this and i i've started entire businesses successful businesses that just coming off of a list of ideas like that yeah, I, it's one of your ideas. Funny, like writing a book, like how to be a vegetarian for non-vegetarians who want to write a best-selling book about how to be a vegetarian or something. You know, 
Like, yeah, yeah. There, there's all sorts yeah. of like you think about what you loved as a kid. Yeah. And so like I loved games, for instance, as a kid. Yeah. So but like I said, I, as an adult, kids play games and adults should play more. But you can't be a professional at it. It's hard. But I could write a book about it, for instance, or I could write a blog about it or do a podcast about, you know, there's your interests that you had when you were 14 or 10 or six. They aged in different ways as well. You aged and they aged. So I you might that have was aged the case apart. until my I, I recently got the PlayStation 4 VR and I was I feel like a kid again. Right. Yeah. So so you love it. So imagine now you see all the blogs out there with the Easter eggs in in the different games yeah. or the cheats in the different games and you maybe you can send out a newsletter to your friends who who play, you know, on the PlayStation 4. Here's all the cheats for these. Here's all the websites for the cheats for these different games. And then maybe more and more people subscribe to that letter. Suddenly you have a 10,000 person letter and PlayStation sponsors it. Like anything, that's how your age might interest in a professional way. I mean, that's how your interest might age, but in a professional way, as opposed to like, oh, I'm going to be a professional gamer. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm just trying to tie all this to this idea of choosing yourself. It's obviously very related. Well, okay. In that particular case, you become, let's say you send out a list of four friends, you know, you send out an email to four friends and you know, they're all into PlayStation and you say, here are all the hidden blogs with the latest cheats and check out these particular blogs. And they're like, oh, send me the next one. And then they get their friends to sign up. And then suddenly you have a big list, 10,000 people. Well, you have a little media company now and you could get advertisers and you could do a podcast and you could do a poor pay newsletter with the actual cheats in them. And, you know, that no one else can find. And you could interview the designers of the games. And suddenly you've chosen yourself to be one of the world's experts on, you know, aggregating information about some specific games for the PlayStation. Yeah. You chose yourself there. No one else had to pick you. The PlayStation didn't have to pick you. A tournament didn't have to pick you. You didn't have to be in some ranking. You just did it. Yeah, there wasn't any, also there wasn't any pre-designed path that you just, you like pick out. You're like, oh, I, I see uh, that. I want to do that. It's, instead, you decided like, I want to be me. You know? Well, but let's, even the predefined paths though, are all, the gatekeepers are, are breaking down. So let's just take a basic example, publishing a book. So if you want to go the traditional route, you need these people to like you. You need an editorial assistant to like you. You need an agent to like you. You need an editor to like you. You need a marketing department to like you. You need a publisher to like you. And you need a bookstore purchaser to like you. All those people have to like you for your book to get published. Or you can upload your book to Amazon and publish your book. That's what you did, right? With with Choose Yourself, I did. And it sold over half a million copies. So, and Is that the best-selling, like, independent book ever, like? You know, for maybe maybe for nonfiction, I mean, it's hit number one in nonfiction many times in Amazon out of all books, a nonfiction on Amazon. And I mean, that's not typical. Um, no. People who self-published. But what's the best-selling book in history now was initially self-published, Fifty Shades of Grey. So they saw she saw the Bible. Hmm? I thought you were going to say the Bible. Well, that was probably self-published too. Gutenberg self-published. Thinking, but um, E.L. James uploaded uh, Fifty Shades of Grey to Amazon, sold about two hundred fifty thousand copies. And then I think it was Simon and Schuster or Random House. One of them picked it up. Amazon's publishing company didn't pick it up, but one of the major ones did. And I don't know. She sold like 200 million more copies of her series, like more than a, all the all really seven Harry Potter novels combined. Story. I mean, that's it is well well deserved. It's a, it's a really uh, compelling story. Well, it, it's interesting though that it was self published, and you know, quality. Who knows? But certainly best selling. 
So she chose herself. So, okay, there's a, there's another aspect to this choosing yourself part I really like. You chose, you say you choose yourself because someone else is going to probably do it for you and you're not probably not going to like it. <laughs> well, let's look at just the, if you take any employee situation, your dream is to get keep on getting promoted and higher and higher salary until maybe you have a nice retirement nest egg or you become the CEO and or whatever. But until every step of the way, you have to basically cater to the agenda of someone else, like your boss and their boss and their boss. So there's a lot of people whose agendas you have to cater to simultaneously. That's very stressful. It's hard enough to cater to my own agenda, let alone the agenda of not only my boss, but his boss and his boss and his boss and the customers and so on. So even when you start a, a business, you have to cater to the agendas of your customers and, and maybe your investors and your partners and your employees. But then at least in that case, you choose all those groups and you choose the business you're going to be in. And uh, so you have a little bit more control and a lot more control and so on. But I'm not even recommending being an entrepreneur. There's many ways to just work for yourself, an author or in many cases, you know, an academic with tenure, you know, at that point, you basically can make your own, set your own agendas. But until then, it's publish or perish. So yeah. you're very much, you know, I'm not saying you're not choosing yourself because you, you chose to be a professor and you enjoy it and, and it has its ups and downs, I'm Are sure. Are you talking about me personally? Yeah. Well, my story is I'm not a tenure track professor. Well, you're, I've chosen myself. <laughs> oh, oh, even even better then. So yeah. then you don't have to yeah. comply with yeah. the agendas of like that's so stressful. I run a nonprofit, you know, called the Imagination Institute, and I teach a course at Penn, but I'm not on the tenure track. I've ah. decided I don't want to be. Yeah, yeah. I, see, I think that's much more. You don't have to get into that whole stressful seven year period yeah, where you have to go to all these cocktail parties you don't want to go to and publish in all these journals you don't want to publish to. You could just write books and do your thing and yeah. and succeed. That's right. I mean, you make it sound that make it sound easy, but yeah, that's exactly right. Right? No, but fa failure is going to come also if you know if you're trying to do everything on your own. There's a lot more opportunities to fail as well. Yeah. So, but then you can also bounce back because you could have variety in what you're doing. But yeah, that f having that freedom and failing is fine, you know, as long as I have the freedom to fail. Yeah, and, and variety helps too to buffer like economic failures, for instance, or or to even um like well, if you have writer's block one day, okay, no problem, I'll work, do something positive on my nonprofit, and exactly. you still can feel good on the day, even though you, you know one thing you care about didn't work out that day. I just have some days where I feel like everything has bombed. <laughs> but uh, I have days like yeah. that too. I had a day like that yesterday. <laughs> so it happens. Yeah. You just have to, yeah, and then you just have to get to the next day. Yeah. You have to understand that you have to like almost lean into the problem. You have to understand that, okay, I have felt like this before. And I know one good thing to do is to wait for at least those initial feelings of, of panic to subside and then see or what take happens. lemon balm. Yeah, well, I got to keep. I'm almost done with this, so so we'll see. I Maybe wait. I am getting more relaxed. I don't know. I think you are. You're, you're getting more charismatic. You're getting there, more. There yeah, you, you go. Are, you are. Is it too personal to ask uh, what happened yesterday? I was just feeling like I was feeling stuck on writing. I was feeling a little stuck on getting some guests for my podcast. Yeah, uh, I'm an active angel investor now, so I'm invested in like a bunch of companies, and I was thinking. I've not gotten any updates from any of these companies in like a really long time, which is usually good news. Normally, I would think to myself, if you don't hear anything, that's yeah, good news. But the day colored everything else. Yeah. yeah. So I was yeah. thinking, you know, what if it all didn't work out simultaneously? Yeah. Like I started to go down that downward spiral. Downward spiral. And you can't help it sometimes. And then you just have to take a break and say, okay, I'm going through the downward spiral. I'm, what I tend to do is I'm going to make an appointment with myself 
to think about these issues tomorrow. And if I'm still feeling it, then I need to do something about it. Isn't it funny how that downward spiral can cause us to all of a sudden bring in things that we never even thought about before. And it's like, it's like, oh yeah, you know, she hasn't responded to my email in a week. I, mean, I haven't even cared about that till that moment. It's like, it's like, it starts, it, when, once you start spiraling down, it just sort of pulls in and it just sucks and everything. It's like, you're coming down with me too. Yeah. You're coming down with me too. And you know what I mean? And like, but, it, but the reverse, the upward spiral can have the opposite effect as you know, Barbara Fredrickson's work has shown and stuff. So. Yeah. You got to You got to be careful with both. Both yeah. of them are hot potatoes. <laughs> well, Barbara, so that's interesting. I'd like you to tell me more of that. Cause I, my point was, I'm okay with the upward spiral where you start pulling in good things, but maybe that super optimism can be dangerous. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like, uh, I mean, that's how in the past I've at least contributed to, let's say, going broke is I think, okay, I sold my business. I made, This is the money I made. I'm done with my experience of improving as a human being. Now I could just do whatever I want. And that begins that upward spiral of optimism. And it's not manic because I don't get... It's very situational. Like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be very optimistic when good things happen and that contributes to the upward spiral as opposed to having it be some chemical thing, which is a very serious issue for some people. So I don't right. want to say I'm that. Sure. But I had a tendency to go into those upward spirals and then go into the downward spirals. And it's just you have to moderate those. But you can't moderate situational ups and downs with medication. You have to know how to recognize them and stop yourself and, and have habits in place to, to take care of yourself. Would that be interesting if SSRIs moderated the situation? Well, I mean, I guess they, you could temper, you know, with very, like, for instance, if you're feeling panicked, you could, I guess, you know, drink yourself into oblivion and you probably won't feel panicked anymore, but that's not a healthy way to do it. Lemon balm is healthy. Yes, I'm seeing that. Um, so you, you're also like kind of, you can predict the future, but you know, in a way, like you're kind of like a few, like an, an amateur futurist, you know, like you don't, I say amateur cause you don't get paid every day to do. We've worked with futurists who get paid every day, a couple of scenarios, but you know, you're kind of a futurist in, in sense in 2007 on, on CNBC, you said that Facebook would one day be worth a hundred billion. I watched that clip. And they, they, do you, I don't know if you remember, or you might not remember because before the clip, they kept leading in. Where do you hear what this guy oh, has they to did. say? Yeah, yeah. They're and like a hundred billion, really. And then they would play a clip of Jeff Bezos laughing yeah. hysterically because he has a very funny laugh. And then they had me on. And at the time, Facebook I think was valued at about a billion, or maybe billion. Microsoft yeah. had just offered to buy it for a billion. And I was, I, I had just written in the Financial Times actually that it was going to one day be worth a hundred billion now, or why more. Why do you say that? Because I started using it and. It felt so good. Like I was suddenly back in touch with my friends from like first grade and high school and college and my first job. And I ne- it's it's not like I would ever have called my friend from first grade and said, hey, how did your kid do in a soccer game yesterday? <laughs> like, but now I get to see it. It just struck me as this phenomenal new thing that was never going to leave my life ever. And then it, it seemed like as opposed to earlier social networks, like let's say MySpace, it seemed like this mini organized internet, like a sub-internet. And I felt like eventually people would be selling things on here, but in a very organized fashion, because every page looks the same. Mm-hmm. And so and so you know how to navigate everything very quickly. As soon as you go to a public page of a company, this is what ha- ended up happening. As soon as you go to a public page of a company, you know how to navigate it because they're all the same. And so I just felt, I just felt this, given that the internet was at this point worth trillions, Facebook's got to be worth at least a hundred billion. Now it's going to be worth much more because they're that leaders in virtual reality but, as well. But because you invested so much, does that mean you're like rich right now? <laughs> like, well, I didn't invest in the in Facebook. I thought you did. No, Facebook. no. What I did was I invested in. It was too late to invest in 
I couldn't really get into Facebook. Oh. There was just major venture capital firms. But I invested in social media companies, social media agencies. So agents, ad agencies that were trying to tell companies, hey, get on this new thing called Facebook. So there was a bunch of ad agencies that were starting and I basically invested in all of them and that did do well. Okay. So that worked. Good. good yes. Good. So despite, so I assume you're rich right now. Well, it's, it's all relative. Yeah, you know, it's all New, relative. New York you're City. Than, I assume you're richer than me. But yet, and I don't know if you still do it, but you decided to massively simplify your life recently and put like just 15 of the most important things in a bag and even like sleep like not like people's house sleep sleep around so to speak yes. you know now are you still doing that yeah really? i have i you don't have like an apartment <laughs> no no i don't rent or own so i just so as of this second you're kind of like homeless well you're right a rich now, homeless man right now i'm in an airbnb but before that i was a, a, a friend of mine who was who actually had helped at one point was not staying in his place and he had a very nice place and i stayed there for a while and i just didn't want to um I've been doing a lot of Air- Airbnbs all over the country yeah. and traveling around. And I realized at one point I didn't miss anything that was in my apartment and my lease was coming up on my apartment. I was renting and I had, you know, 40 years worth of accumulated baggage and like we all do above belongings in my in my place. And so I didn't want to do the Marie Kondo thing. You know, the her book, The Magic Art of Tidying Up, yeah. where you kind of hold an object to yourself. And if you love it, you keep it. And if you don't you love it, do you, that. Yeah, I didn't. I don't believe in that. I already knew I had not missed any of my belongings, even photo albums, collectibles, my diploma, computers, beds, sheets, dishes, you know, whatever I had. I had a gazillion things. So I hired a friend of mine to basically take took her two trucks and her whole family and they just basically cleaned out my place. I said either keep it, sell it, donate it or throw it away for everything. You decide and don't call me during the entire process. But it took her about a week because there was so much stuff. And she called me once and said, you sure you want to throw out your diploma? I mean, you worked really hard for that diploma. And I'm like, no, I did not work hard for that diploma. <laughs> and it was a long time ago. And no one's ever asked to see it. Was that your undergraduate? Yeah. 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 Because I was thrown out of graduate school, unfortunately. But oh, uh, we'll have to get to that. But so, yeah, throughout everything except the bag I was traveling with. So I had basically only the bag I was traveling with. And that's still all what You're I have. Still doing that. And you find this greater simplicity, their benefits? You, how uh, do you compare it to your prior life? I, it's really hard to say. I don't. Like people say to me, oh, that must feel really freeing. And I don't know if that's, if I do feel really freeing about it. I don't, I still don't miss anything. And now it's, it's actually been about a year and a half since I've seen everything, since all my, I've seen all my belongings. And it's been about almost a year since I threw everything out. But do you uh, know the dumpster you threw out in? Could you go back? And no, no. Yeah. Cause I, my friend, again, probably, you know, sold, donated, you know, okay. took or threw it throughout. And uh, someone might be impersonating you with your diploma and everything. That, that could that could very well be. I mean, certainly I had to trust this friend because she found, you know, all my paperwork for everything, tax returns, all that kind of stuff. Because I was keeping around all this. What do you need to keep around your paperwork for? Like, yeah, you don't need, to. you know, and, um, you know, saw many, many things about me, you know, and uh, but, you know, that's that's what friends are for. <laughs> for sure. So let's just think about some other predictions for the future. Um, you've talked about how you think we'll have more of an employee-free society. 
there'll be a rising wave of solo entrepreneurs and lifestyle entrepreneurs. What, yeah. what is a lifestyle entrepreneur? Well, it's um, I'll give you a very basic example. You're a personal trainer at the gym is a lifestyle entrepreneur. Gotcha. They work for themselves. Is Uber? If you're an Uber driver, an Uber employee? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. if you're an Uber driver, you're a lifestyle entrepreneur. And that's why the word entrepreneur is not necessarily correct, but it's you're just doing your own thing and you're not really you, you've limited the number of people you're reporting to. You're limiting the number of agendas you have to cater to, or you have variety of agendas. So you could be an Uber driver, but also renting an Airbnb and also selling stuff on Etsy and buying things in China and selling it on Amazon Maybe and writing a book. Maybe there's a variety of things you're working on. So, but what's happening is, well, let's take Uber as a great example. The need for cars has gone down and is going down. So let's say within 10 years, there's going to just be self-driving cars or, you know, some number of years, who knows, five years, 10 years, 15 years, there's just going to be only self-driving cars. I mean, auto, yeah, yeah, cars that drive themselves. And so 90% of the cars on the road won't be necessary anymore. You'll just say, okay, at 8 a.m., the self-driving car that's nearest me should pick me up and take me to work. And you'll be able to work on your laptop on the way to work because you're self-driving, some, whatever self-driving car that's owned by Uber, you know, let's say maybe Google buys Uber. So who knows how it all works out. And, you know, it'll pick you up. It'll drive you to work, drop you off. And now it'll go, it'll never be empty. It'll go to the next person. Right now, we live in a world where all these empty cars are sitting in parking lots at, you know, work. It's not, it's not going to be necessary anymore. That's a waste. So if 90% of the cars in the auto industry disappear, what happens to the auto industry? All the employees are going to, you know, these companies are going to be there's going to be massive upheaval. Yeah. I'm not saying this is bad or good. It could be a bad thing. It could be a good thing. And it's going to hurt some people. It's going to help some people. But it's going to happen. So regardless of whether you think it's good or bad. And so what will that do? That's also going to change the insurance industry because no more car insurance, no more car insurance agents. It's going to change real estate because maybe you could live further from work because now you could just work on the way to work. Or maybe work at home, you know, because mobile is happening and virtual reality is happening and all these other things. Oh, yeah. Virtual reality is going to get so real. Uh, I, was, I had a podcast chat with David Chalmers recently who, who, are, who he believes we are living in a simulation right now. But he thinks that um, virtual reality will eventually become so real you won't be able to distinguish the real world from virtual reality. Yeah, because if you think about it, our technological society has only been around, let's say, 200 years, 300 right. years. Right. And... Uh, we're already at the point where a virtual reality could seem so real that we're, we're maybe like 10 years away or five years away from a virtual reality seeming so real, like even to touch and our senses That's that right. we won't be able to tell the difference. So imagine a society that maybe lived for 100,000 years. Exactly. That we're, of course, we're in a simulation. That and, could be us. Yeah. 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 You start, it was, you, you basically just ran the philosophical thought experiment that Dave Chalmers has been doing and, uh, you came to the same conclusion. Yeah. That's kind of the, kind of the standard, yeah. you know, simulated reality argument that the odds that we're the real world are like one in a gazillion. He actually, he actually, you know, says that uh, he puts between like 30 and 50% that we are in a simulation, which is really high if you think, you know, high percentage. Like, you know, if you think of that, it's almost like, yeah. Like, yeah. Cool. I'm not yeah. making that prediction, by the way. Yeah, That's yeah. a sort of who, just a philosophical yeah, who knows. Yeah, yeah. We'll never know. What do you mean we'll never know? We might someday. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's some there's some uh, mathematicians who are kind of trying to work on theories about it. And, you know, maybe the dark matter in, in the universe is somehow related to the well, real people, world. Some, 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 some entity might tell you someday, you know, we had a lot of fun making your character. <laughs> right. But given that this reality might be 13 
4.8 billion years old. Yeah. The odds that it happens in our lifetime that we kind of poke a hole in the reality is, is well, unlikely. when you die. Could be. It, you but, find out. That's maybe. Fine. We'll that's, see. That's uh, what I'm you know, that's, That could be a theory too. That's, that was my, my thinking is that die, you know, because that could actually just mean that you, you know, wake up in a pod somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know? The alien technique. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You may, wouldn't that be the biggest kicker if it right. turned out? You do wake up in yeah. somebody. That yeah. You'd be like, day. no way. Yeah. I'm going back in. <laughs> So you, this, I like this quote from you, creating new income sources is like sex. You only get good by doing it, preferably a lot. Do you mean in a lot of ways, is, is failure inherent in part of that? Yeah, because you don't really, you know, when you do a science experiment, you expect that many experiments won't work out. Yeah. And that's how ultimately you make your big scientific discoveries. So the classic story of Thomas Edison trying a thousand different filaments before he had the right one for a light bulb. Did he fail those thousand times? Did he give up? No, he got better at figuring out what chemical, you know, what chemicals did the, or, you know, what elements did the filament needed to be made out of? And he got better and better at, until he came up with a light bulb. He sort of narrowed in on success there. And I think that's what happens as you learn the language of, you know, entrepreneurship and making an income, you learn to speak it better and better. So oh, I love that quote. <laughs> You know, I, I have such a bad memory. I honestly don't remember writing that, but yeah. I, it certainly yeah. sounds like me. But it uh, sounds like it could, I, it could I, be you, right? Right, but I totally don't remember it. I don't remember anything. I think I have early onset Alzheimer's. Actually, maybe this lemon bomb is going to help. It actually, that believe it or not, that's one of the benefits of it. It helps Alzheimer's, helps with cognitive functioning. I, I, I believe it. Yeah, the... I'll believe anything. I'll believe anything you yeah. tell me right uh, now. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Your podcast. Uh, We're in a virtual reality. Well, I was going to say lemon bomb also makes you believe anything. Yeah, so it's that could be it's a truth okay. serum. This is kind of the thing. Hey, this has been such a great comprehensive interview. I don't know if there's any topic you wanted that you wanted to bring up here at the end. You know, I'm I'm good. I've I've been looking forward to this. We first met a little over a year ago, and I've been looking forward to doing this podcast ever since. Oh man, I have as well. Thank you for the the enlightening chat, and thank you for being you. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. And uh, I'm looking forward to you coming on my podcast when your next book comes out, so, which is top secret. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. I would love it. Thanks for listening to the Psychology Podcast with Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman. I hope you found this episode just as thought provoking and interesting as I did. If you'd like to read the show notes for this episode or hear past episodes, you can visit thepsychologypodcast.com. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. 
With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 